0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Back here on a Friday, heading into a three-day weekend. Happy New Year to you. Jake Quarry along with Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison here as well. James Boyd, writer for The Athletic, joins us to talk about the Colts and the Raiders. James, I'm going to start with you with the same tired, patented, and repeated intro that I've had every time we've talked about this game, but it's so true, in my opinion at least. Whoever would have thunk back when we were at Grand Park that here we would be in the penultimate game of the year between the Colts and the Raiders of two teams that actually still mathematically had a chance to win their division. Crazy, crazy season. Um, But does that say more about the Colts' schedule to this point? Does it say more just about them finding some consistency in play, and can they still, even though mathematically it's possible, are they going to win the division?
2: That's a lot. It's a loaded question there, Jake. Um, I would say that the reason they're in this position now speaks to their head coach. Um, Give Shane Steckin a ton of credit for keeping this team afloat despite all of the changes, injuries, suspensions, you name it, they've had it this season. And so um, kudos to him for keeping them afloat. And moving them to 8-7 and seven this season, I think that he's found a way for them to be competitive in pretty much every single game. Obviously, last week was not the case, but for the most part, they've been competitive. And so I think on top of that, when you look at what they can do as far as getting into the playoffs, yes, it's possible. You know, the Jaguars are caving right now. The Texans um, aren't playing you know, out of their mind. It's possible. But I think right now the goal will be for them to just get in any way they can. If they get in, that's a successful season. Even if they don't, Um, I can't say that if they missed out that I'm disappointed or like this season was a failure because of what they had to overcome to even get to this point.
1: So, James, the – you know, I'm curious to this. Shane Steichen, and I agree with you. Steichen, to me, has been kind of the the stabilizing calm of the ship, if you will. I mean, he's been very – he's looked and acted the part all year to me. But do they – still come up with wrinkles down the stretch here? Or are you at the point in the season where you say, we're going to do what we do, and we're confident that that's going to be enough? Or are they constantly tweaking new looks that we have not yet previously seen?
2: I think there's always something up Shane Steichen's sleeve or we might see a different play call or something that frees up the offense or jump starts them in some way that we haven't seen before. However, I do think that at this point in the season, they know what they have to do to win, and it's run the ball. Um, When they've run the ball pretty well, they've won most of their games. And also when they've created turnovers. Last week, they didn't defend the run well, they didn't run the ball well, and they had no turnovers, and it was a lopsided game. And so I think if they can avoid putting the ball in Gardner Minshew's hands a ton and make sure they keep the ball in the hands of their running backs, keep the defense honest, and they have a good chance of winning, which is um, the case week in and week out for this team.
3: He's James Boyd, covers the Colts for The Athletic. James, I know you mentioned that Jake's question was loaded. Mine's not necessarily loaded, but I know it's a difficult one to answer out of the gate, so we're, we're making you earn everything in this appearance on Query and Company. Yeah, y'all set me up. <laughs> yeah, I gave you like three and one, yeah. <laughs> my, my, my just one and one, with the absence of Julian Blackman on IR now, is this the equivalent for the Colts defensively in terms of losing a piece that finally has the rest of the roster in a situation where things are caving in around them, just like we saw against Atlanta when Michael Pittman Jr. was absent. Is this this the piece that's finally too much to ask of this group without Julian Blackman?
2: I don't think it's as big of a loss as Pittman, but I do think it could be a significant loss. The one thing that could benefit the Colts is that the quarterback they're facing isn't very good. He's a rookie, Aiden O'Connell. Obviously, Indiana's familiar with him, having played at Purdue. But it's not like he's some, you know, superstar quarterback who's going to just light them up because the secondary is weak. So, although they have, you know, pretty good skill, position players, um, the headliner obviously being Devontae Adams, they still have a chance to kind of stir up that back end with Nick Cross and make life hard on Aiden O'Connell. So, it is a big loss, but I don't think it's to the level of Pitt and you know, I'm looking at him in practice today wondering if he's going to be okay to play because if he is, I think the Colts have a chance to, you know, again, get back on track against a team that isn't, you know, they're playing well at the moment. They're rallying around the interim coach, but in my opinion, still isn't a very good team. So um, you handle your business at home and you give yourself a chance to go into, you know, the final week of the season, uh, potentially with a chance to win the division.
1: You know, James, it's one of those years for me, James Board of the Athletic is our guest, where... So many things, and kudos to the Colts for taking advantage of it, but so many balls have bounced the way of the Colts this year, be it the quarterback that they're getting ready to face from one game to the next in terms of you know backups, the schedule, all of it. Julian Blackman going out for the year is a, a major loss. There is no good time for that. But if there's a game where without Julian Blackman, who they've had to play games without – but if there's a game that is the best situation to kind of reacclimate and reset without him, wouldn't it be this one? Isn't this another benefit to the Colts because of the fact that they're going against a team that, quite frankly, does not throw the ball well? And as a result of that, it allows you to kind of slow re entry those that are going to have to fill the piece of Julian Blackman.
2: Absolutely. I think you hit it right on the head right there. I think, again, when you look at. On paper, you're like, wow, they have Devontae Adams. They might be able to light the Colts up. But then you look at how they won last week, in the last two weeks, rather, they've had two defensive touchdowns in each of their last two wins. And then last week they won, despite Aiden O'Connell only throwing for 68 yards and not completing a pass after the first quarter. Like, think about that. They won an NFL game with their quarterback not completing a pass for three quarters. So, again, I think that this bodes well for the Colts and what gives them a little bit more – Um, maybe confidence is Nick Cross and the way he's played this year and his spot minutes and spot snaps. He's been okay. He's been better than last year. I think he's confident that he can step in and make an impact. And also, not to be rude to Julian Blackman, but considering the injury history, he's in a contract year, this could be a two-game audition for Nick Cross to show this franchise. Like, hey, this is why you guys showed up to draft me and I'm your safety of the future.
3: Is Michael Pittman's concussion protocol – I don't want to call him struggles, but just his adversity that he's gone through with this re-entering it after getting initially cleared. Has that changed the way that you evaluate or monitor this as a journalist, as a reporter of the team? Because from our vantage point, you hear all the tweets, and, and you and Stephen Holder and others are putting the caveats of yes, he's not in the red, no contact jersey, but that doesn't mean he's playing or not. How how difficult has this week been from a coverage standpoint and Ultimately, how long before we know if he's going to go on Sunday?
2: Yeah, so I think that it has taught me to be better at my job because last week we asked, "Hey, so has he cleared concussion protocol?" Um, we were told Friday that he did, and I tweeted out, "Oh, he's cleared to play." that doesn't mean he's cleared to play. And, and the caveat there was he still had the shoulder issues, he was questionable, and then he regressed on Saturday with concussion symptoms. So I think going forward, especially with Shane, who never says any more than he has to, I have to be specific, very specific, like, okay, is he out of the protocol? Will he be available to play? And that'll be questions I'll ask today, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Colts just say, hey, how about we just um, wait until um, Saturday to announce if he's actually going to play or wait until Sunday? until he's going to play. So I do think they have to let us know if he cleared the protocol. But as far as being available to play, we'll see. And so I just put it like this for the Colts fans. Until you see him running out there for warm-ups with his helmet and his pads on, just don't think anything of his status just yet.
1: James, I want to go back to Nick Cross, who obviously becomes an important player now down the stretch. Um, I look at Shaq Leonard, who we know is a wonderful player. But Shaq Leonard was so gifted athletically, I guess still is. I mean, but that when his body started to break down on him and he had injury, he didn't necessarily have the base mechanics to make up for the lack of athleticism he had been so reliant upon. Is Nick Cross kind of a safety version of that? Does he still need to learn the mechanics and the lines of the position as opposed to strictly relying on raw, raw athleticism?
2: No, I think he actually has a lot of the sound techniques and things like that. But the biggest thing I've heard from him and others is just the communication factor. When you lose your strong safety. They're closer to the ball. They're usually like the middle linebacker of your secondary. And so he has to be more vocal, which I think goes against his natural um, personality. He's a more of a quiet, reserved guy. And so they've been challenging him to be more vocal, be more out there. And they have said that he's taken steps in the right direction this season to do so. And I think one of the other factors that, that lets you know he's pretty sound defensively, at least with, you know, uh, coverages and technique, is because they were allowing him to be their backup safety at strong safety, backup safety at free safety, and then backup nickelback as well. So he has a lot on his plate this year, and I don't think you can really put a lot on his plate if you hadn't trusted on um, the technique and the, the mindset as well.
1: Okay, I'm going to name a couple of guys. You tell me whether you anticipate them playing against the Raiders on Sunday. You ready? Let's do it, uh, Braden Smith. Plays. Okay, and he he has practiced twice this week, correct? Yes. Okay, Michael Pittman. I don't
2: know. <laughs> I'll leave the concussion stuff alone. I truly don't know.
1: Yeah, and, and I get it, James. That's a, and I think all of us at this point are kind of under that understanding, right, of the fact that concussions are one that you just you kind of have to respect whatever the decision is, right? I mean. Pretty exactly. pretty, you know, I, I would say, you know, it's obviously a sensitive area, pardon the pun. Okay. Zach um Zach Moss.
2: I'm gonna say yes, although he was not practicing today. I don't know what that's about. Maybe he has to get just a little bit more treatment on his um forearm. It is the same forearm he broke in the preseason. I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it. But, yeah, he was not out there today, which I thought was a little bit of a a question mark.
1: Uh, Anybody else that is of question that we haven't mentioned or that maybe is flying under the radar in terms of their lack of health?
2: I think D.J. Montgomery, um, you know, obviously he had a a pretty significant performance in their last home game, the win over the Steelers. He had a groin. He practiced today for the first time this week. So, um, again, you talk about Pittman being in there and others, but you want to make sure that he's available too because I think D.J. Montgomery is just another body you can throw at them another skill of this guy who could potentially, you know, make a difference. I mean, he is a playmaker when he gets hands on the ball. So um, I think for them it's just can they just get healthy at some point in the season? And it feels like they're turning in the right direction. And, and, and if you get your top guys back against a team like this, the Raiders, Um, again, am I going to say it's a failed season if they lose? No. But I think this would really sting this team to have it, you know, uh, an opportunity like this and waste it, given that most of these guys only they're going to play.
3: The Athletics' James Boyd joins us. James, you mentioned that running the football should be top priority for the Colts and probably their most effective area to success and to open everything else up for them offensively. When you say that, do you mean more force-feeding, more high-level volume for Jonathan Taylor? Or do you mean specifically, JT needs to be more effective and more the, the running back we've been used to him being the last couple of years with the carries he's getting?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. But what's interesting to me is just how up and down the offensive line has been the last few weeks. They were incredible blocking, you know, against the Steelers. And then they came out and they had a horrible game against Atlanta. And Bernard Ryman owned it. He basically said, hey, they went to a five-man front, which basically means it's our five against their five. got a one-on-one-on-one matchups." And if they do that, then I think you give JT a chance to be the star player that he's proven to be throughout his career. Now, um, has he been that guy this season? Not really. I think his best game was probably against the Bucks when he did mess up his thumb because he had, like, what, 15 carries, 91 yards yep. or whatever. But since then, um, I think that it's just been a struggle for him to get a rhythm because of the injuries and then the inconsistency up front. So if they can figure that out against the Raiders, um, we should be in for a good performance for him because I still think that JT is, is, is one of the best backs in the league. It's just a matter of – timing, rhythm, and his health as well.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: James Boyd is our guest. The Athletic is where you can read his work, where he covers the Indianapolis Colts. You, of course, hear him on this radio station frequently as well. James, tell me a point this year... If there is, if, I'm assuming there was one, but when you look back and you're, you're reviewing the Colts 2023 season, tell me the time that was the first epiphany you had where you had to remind yourself that Shane Steichen was still a first-year head coach because you thought to yourself, that moment right there sounded and looked like a coaching veteran. And that decision or that way he carried himself or that – mannerism shows that he is a guy at this point that appears to be advanced beyond being a rookie head coach was there a moment
2: I think it might have been maybe midway through the season when we asked you know what's the hardest part about being a head coach and he was like well none of it's really hard you just prepare and I was like "Eh, that could be seen as arrogant but then you see the way he's prepared and you're like you know what I don't think this guy ever has been underprepared there's questionable calls for every coach, but I do think that they have a guy who, because he prepares so much and he basically lives in his office, from what I've heard, um, that rubs off on the other guys, and so he instills that confidence in them that no matter what happens, we're prepared for it, and I think you see that in the way that, you know, you have guys like Tyler Goodson and Trey Sermon step up, you know, in games, and so when you see performances like that, and you ask where they came from, yeah, the player stepped up, but it's a reflection of their head coach because he's always you know, preaching and coaching, you know, from the top down um, that every guy matters. And, you know, you hear those cliches around the league, but just talking to some of the guys in the locker room, he does make these guys feel like they have a chance to make a play. And they also know if they do something in practice and, and excel at practice, they'll get a shot on game day too. you know, show their skill set, which, you know, Shane has shown. He'll, he'll put you in the game if you show something in practice. And, the, and these guys have had a great opportunity to do so because of the injuries and things like that,
1: to go out there and make plays. How much is his departure a factor in what we've seen of late in Philadelphia? Or is that simply an easy narrative?
2: I think it's very significant. And it goes for both sides of the ball. I think that them losing their offensive coordinator and their defensive coordinator, you know, down there to again into to the Cardinals is a huge loss. And I think that you've seen the the losses and, and the effect of it on this group. And it looks like everything offensively is so hard for Philadelphia despite all their talent. And I think that's a big testament to how easy Shane Slykin like makes it look, even though I'm sure his job ain't easy.
3: James, does it feel like, as we get into like the mood and vibe of things around this Colts team, you mentioned that it might not be viewed as a failure if, if they miss the playoffs, but it would sting for this group. How much of that is carryover from the struggles they've had the last three or four years, and do you get a sense from veterans that that's on their mind of not wanting to repeat the failings of the last couple of years?
2: Yeah, Zaire Franklin dismissed this notion the other day when we asked about it, and I think that's because I had it in my story after last game, and just to kind of clarify for everyone out there, when I talked to Quidi Pay, and he brought up 2021 and how it feels like deja vu, that was all on his own. I just asked him, hey, you know, Gardner Minshew said you can't take this for granted, what does that mean to you? And he was like, you know what, it feels just like my rookie year. We were right there. He said we let other people dictate our future and we fell flat on our face. We can't let that happen again. He did say it's going to be, different, be a different story this year. So we'll see if we can take him at his the after these next few games. But um, I definitely can say with certainty, obviously would talked to Quinny Pay. that it's on the mind of at least him and maybe a few other players. Even though they, they might not admit it, I, th- I know it's something that's going to haunt them if they you know, fall flat on their face again, despite it being a totally different situation, different coaches, different quarterbacks, all those things. Um, to be this close and then to maybe not make it would sting a lot. And so I think that's just one of those factors where they, they know it's in the back of their mind, they want to avoid it, and if it gives them extra motivation, extra juice, maybe that's a good thing.
1: James, Zaire Franklin is such a – just a stabilizing force for their defense. And just his his total story, there's a reason the guy clearly we're seeing, there's a reason why he was a four-year captain in college, Right. Give me a player for the Colts this year that inside the locker room is a much larger force and a much bigger role model, if you will, leader than people outside the locker room would realize.
2: Taekwon Lewis. Actually, this is a story on him and how he took Nick Cross under his wing last year and embraced him. Because every time I go in the locker room now, Nick Cross is hanging out with the D-line and thinks he's an honorary defensive end of of some sort – because Tyquan Lewis uh, has basically embraced him and kind of encouraged him even last year he wasn't playing. And I think the biggest part about what that says about Tyquan is his character. Last year, Tyquan was coming off his second you know, uh, devastating injury, and then this year he's finally healthy. He could have been focusing all on himself and been in his own little world, but he's the guy who uh, brings the levity, brings the joy, and um, really – Uh, doesn't care what role you have on the team, what position you play, offense or defense, he talks to everybody. And from what I've heard, he's like the emotional leader and somebody who really um, brings a lot of fun to the room and and just reminds them to be, you know, uh, grateful for the opportunity to go out there and play because for two years he couldn't do that.
1: Can or will Shane Steichen come up with a different offensive philosophy to kind of protect Gardner Minshew from becoming turnover prone down the stretch?
2: I think it's just the nature of who he is at this point. I don't think Shane is a magician. He can't just make a player, you know, not be what he's been throughout his career or throughout this season. I think the key, like I said earlier, is, the you know, can you get the ball rolling on the ground? And if that's the case, you keep it pretty even. Because Gardner's been pretty good when they have a good running game. You look at the last game that he had at Lucasville Stadium, he was on fire, you know, three touchdowns, no interceptions, because they ran the ball extremely well and made it very simple for him to throw the ball when
1: he had to. James Boyd, The Athletic, where you can read his work. Colts Raiders coming up this weekend from Lucas Oil Stadium. New Year's Eve, as a matter of fact, is when the game will be played. We'll be talking about it all to start off, of course, the new year. James, Happy New Year to you. Appreciate the time as always. Same to you both, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Rolling along on a Friday, and another three-day weekend is upon us, so hope you folks are set for that. Happy New Year to you a little bit early. Joining us now on the program for the second time, he is a finalist amongst the 15 finalists, as a matter of fact, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We talked a lot about it yesterday with Reggie Wayne and Dwight Freeney, and now number 93, the spin man himself, Dwight Freeney, joining us on the program. Dwight, how are you?
4: I'm doing good. What about yourself?
1: Uh, No complaints. Great time of year, obviously, right? And I can only imagine um, for you, you know, you have the holidays. I know you love being around the kids and you're enjoying retirement, but I am curious of this. What is the reaction? I mean, when you hear the news that you are again a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, that you're that close to Canton, but then you've got to sit and wait. I would imagine it's got to be like a little bit of, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I'm super excited about it. Take me through just kind of the mindset of all of it.
4: I think you hit it on the head. Um, I think last year taught me a good lesson. Um, and I tried hard last year not to let it affect my day-to-day Tried not to focus on it because you heard you know so many stories of you know, hey guys expecting to be first ballot hall of famers, and all of a sudden you don't get that call um saying that you are or just Hall of Fame in general. you know you're in a finalist, fifteen finalists, and you still don't get that call. So you hear that, and you don't really understand how that feels until you don't get that call. you know, so I think, This year, um, as of right now, I'm I'm trying to do a little bit of kind of what you said, where it's you know I'm focused. I'm not really hyper focused on it. Um, This is something that's not under my control. You know, I try to only worry about things that I can control, but this does mean a lot. Right. So that's where it's kind of like you know, the catch 22 of it. Like, I, I don't want to worry about it, but it means a lot. So, you know, maybe I keep one of my eye open when I close and try to continue on with my day. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at with
1: it. I'm going to ask a really dumb question, Dwight Freeney, which is not new to me by any stretch. But do you know, so like we always see, I'm fascinated by this process we always see the video, right, of, like, the knock at the door of the guy getting the call that he's in the hall. Do you know what day that would be ahead of time? So, in other words, like, can you say to yourself, that's it, I'm going to a movie, so they don't, they can't even find me. So, I'm not going to be disappointed. Like, how does it exactly work? Because I'd be, like, walking around the yard constantly looking for the camera crew.
4: No, man, it's hilarious. Yeah, I don't actually know um, how it works now. You know, obviously, I didn't make it last year, so I have no idea you know, I got a phone call from somebody saying, "Hey, you know, you're not going to be, you know, um, a finalist or not a finalist, but you're not going to be in the top five. So that's what I got. I right? don't know what the guys get when they actually go, but that is a good point.
1: But do you know what day? It, do you know what day it would be? I guess is what I'm getting at.
4: They don't even. They didn't even tell me what day. They were just saying, "Hey, you know what? You're going to get a call at some point this week, and we'll let you know." I'm like, okay, great. You know, now how do they coordinate all the other stuff with guys who've made it? No idea. Maybe they coordinate with our wives, our agents, or whomever to have it set up to where, as though if you're making it, there's a camera. I have no idea, but I know what I got. I got a phone call.
1: Man, this would this feels like middle school all over again. Waiting for some girl to call you back. Like it, <laughs> it, it gives me kind of an anxiety, right?
4: Yeah, it, it definitely it definitely is. It's something where you're just like, man, I hope I get this call and it's a good call, you know. And then when you don't get the call that day, you're like, okay, what's going on? Did I do something wrong? Type of feeling. Or, you know, when you, when you get it and it's something good, which I have not experienced, and so you're you're you know jumping, you know, touching the roof of your house, you know, in, in excitement. But you know, it is what it is. I like, guess it's the process that everybody has to go through.
3: Dwight, when was the moment where you felt like, whether it was during your playing career or post-playing days, I put together a Hall of Fame career? I put together a career that is worthy of consideration in Canton.
4: I never thought about it. My entire career playing, I just played the game and I had a great time. You know, obviously, you know, you know there are other things that happened um, to you potentially once you retire called the hall of fame. If you, if someone deems it so, or a group of people deems it so, um, but for the most part, you know, during my playing career, I never thought about it unless someone brings it up in a conversation and they say, you know, potential hall of fame or future hall of famer. And then that's when it kind of goes through your head. Hey, maybe I am, you know, there's a lot of great players that aren't in the Hall of Fame, okay? And there's a lot of great players who are. So you don't know where you fall in that, you know? And and when I retired, I did know five years is when that clock pretty much starts for me to be eligible. And for me to be eligible and be a finalist after my first year is an amazing feeling. Not so much amazing when you didn't make it. We <laughs> have to, you know. I mean, there's not a great feeling there, uh, but you are recognized as somebody who has a good chance of getting here.
1: Dwight Freeney is our guest. Dwight, one of the things I love about it here is I, I've, I've interviewed a lot of guys about a lot of accolades over their career, and the the, the most common answer is, you know, I don't get caught up in stuff like that. Da, 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 da. And and I think we all know, based on human nature, that can't possibly be a hundred percent true. I love the fact that you're honest about the fact of, yeah, I mean, like it's, it's a huge honor and maybe kind of nerve-wracking, right? Do, do you have a tendency, and I know that you have a great respect for everybody that's in that list with you, including your former teammate Reggie Wayne, but do you have a tendency to kind of look over the other guys and size yourself up against them?
4: I mean, I think you have, it's just human nature. You know, I think, you know, you were right on that, where you look and say, I got a pretty good chance this year, you know, for whatever reasons be, this guy was on the list a bunch of times and didn't make it, maybe this is your opportunity. Or maybe this guy, maybe they need a defensive end, you know, they don't have enough defensive ends on the list. So, you know, maybe i have a good opportunity. Or maybe there's no quarterbacks in this, you know, uh, this year's, Uh, draft, or not draft, but um, process, so therefore, hey, you know what? Because there's no quarterbacks, hey, they're going to have to take some other positions. I might have a better chance. I think that's just part of of it, okay? Anybody who's in this top 15 is great players, okay? They're great players that did great things. Um, All deserving to be in the Hall of Fame, I believe. Um, Who goes first? Who goes second? I don't know. It just depends on who the people who are deciding this and whatever film or whatever influences them. Um, But it doesn't take away from the talent and the great players that are on this list, regardless of who makes it. Because I think anybody would say these 15, you know, um, are great players and they all deserve to be in
1: period. You know, one of the things I would think, Dwight Freeney, our guest, one of the things that would be really hard, Dwight, and I want you to expand on this or even tell me if it's not accurate. It may not be accurate. But when you're a great player in any sport, it means that you put in so many hours when other people were not around and you were in control of your own greatness. And when you went out on the field, for the most part, while it's a team sport, you were in control one-on-one against a lineman. And then suddenly to have the greatest honor of all, taken completely out of your control has to be a totally foreign mindset and feeling for you.
4: Well, I I think it is, but obviously we're talking two different things. You know, it's, it's obviously accolades and awards and all those things are not under your control. That's already built into the cake. You already understand that totally. So when it happens or it doesn't happen, you're at peace with it because you understand that is part of the process. As a player, you have a lot more control. You don't have total control. There are things that happen where, you know, they, you know, you want to get five sacks, but they only threw four times, you know, it's like, you know, or they only gave you one single block and you're getting blocked by three guys and 20, you want to have a, a big sack at night or what have you. There's certain things you cannot control. Even the game of football where you love to control. But you can only control the things that you can control. And like you said, the work that you put in off the field, the things that you can do on the field that you can control, that's what you are uh, focused, hyper-focused on. This type of thing, it's you don't have any control, and you already know you don't. So it is it is hard, but it's, you get it because everybody has to go through it if you're at this level.
3: Colts legend Dwight Freeney is our guest. Dwight, you mentioned focusing on having fun and doing the best you can with the game. And, of course, your signature spin move leading to many a sack in your career is the most fun for Colts fans. I know for myself, I'm sure you got this all the time as a player, but playing Madden, there are a few things quite like hitting the spin move with you going into a sack. I've always wondered, from a timing standpoint or when you lined up, when did you know? Hey, this is the time to break it out. That whatever the opposing lineman's doing, this is the time for the spin, and it's gonna get me a clear lane to the quarterback.
4: Well, I think that happens primarily, um, you know, through film study for me. You know, I kind of knew based on what this guy did on a play-to-play basis, or when that formation happens, or whatever. You see openings. You see weaknesses. Um, and that was for me. Now, when you get in the game and you're actually going through it, the the time that you spent studying um, that opponent, it starts to kind of reveal itself. As far as, yeah, you know what, this is exactly what I saw on film. This is exactly what I think would have happened, you know. And then you, those things open up, and we're like, okay, well. There it is. You can spin inside wherever you want. <laughs> you know, you can do this whatever you want. It's there, and, and and for me, it was because of the amount of time and hours that I put in on studying the opponent. Now, not every opponent, offensive tackle or in system, will allow you to do those things. If the guy is sitting inside and he's waiting for you to spin. I don't care if you want to spin, you're not going to be able to spin inside just because he's playing you for it. You know, so you would have to wait based on scheme, based on how he actually passed at you and the previous plays to know, hey, you know what? This opening is happening and I can catch him with this particular move.
1: Did you ever spin so fast that you got kind of dizzy for a split second and lost sight of which direction you were going? Uh
4: no, you know what? I I, I hadn't. Uh I had not that I can remember. Um, you know, and if I if for whatever reason if I did, uh, you know, I, I retired at the right time. Because <laughs> Fair. I, 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 for me, to, for me to spin um and and lose where I
1: was. You know,
4: didn't uh, happen. That's probably it's a pretty it.
1: good sign at that point. It's time to go down to Florida permanently, it's, it's right? It's
4: time to go. Oh, I can't spin anymore? Let me go find a golf
1: ball. <laughs> Dwight, you were obviously, Dwight Freeney, you know, you're a selfless guy. I think people that listen to this station know that because of your work with Indiana Donor Network and helping out and raising awareness for how people can, quite frankly, have a legacy that goes beyond their years, which, you know, oddly, I guess, kind of ties into the Hall of Fame. So I know you're selfless, but I'm going to give you permission right now to be selfish. Give me Dwight Freeney's case. Sell for me why you should be in the Hall of Fame.
4: Well, you know, I I would say this. Um, Regardless of what happens, I I do know this. I left my mark on the game of football. Um, I changed the game of football. And not too many players can say that. Um, They didn't draft guys my size that high in the first round. Um, we were considered undersized, um, a tweener, um, let's just say that. And now they don't say that that much. I know I changed the outlook on guys who are potentially undersized, right? I also know when you see a spin move, somewhere on that tree, lineage tree, whatever of spin moves, my name is somewhere on that tree. All right? So either a coach tried to – emulate um, that based on film study or a direct correlation through a coach um, somewhere, somehow there is some type of tie there. Um, And they didn't teach really the spin moves that I did um, prior to me because they were ever, it was always taught, never turn your back to the quarterback. All right, and and that's all you did when you spun. Now you spin, you're, you're losing side of the quarterback for a split sucking. So when I see my spin move on video games, when I see my spin move being used in college and high school in the pros, I know where it came from in some way, some fashion. So I I do feel great about that. Um and, and lastly I think for me, you know, I played the game hard. I played it how it was supposed to be played. <laughs> You know, um, maybe the stats may not show because you know, sometimes the sacks numbers lie. You know, sometimes you can get a sack and just be completely unblocked. You can get a sack if you get pancaked by your offensive tackle or the quarterback trips over you. And you can get a sack if the quarterback happens to run out of bounds and you have to be the close, closest person. So not all sacks are equally um, the same. I know I worked very hard for my sacks, and I know I had to sometimes fight some two guys to get there, and um, I'll put my tape up against anybody's that I'd ever played.
1: When you go in, underneath your bust, it will list the teams of service equally, but the Indianapolis Colts will be the first, because it's the first where you played, and the longest, obviously, but the first. What will it mean to you? to represent the Colts franchise and to potentially be going in with your teammate, Reggie Wayne?
4: I mean, I, I don't really think that um, words can describe that, that feeling if that ever happened. Um, just because it's, it's one of those things where it's an ultimate joy, right? It's, it's something that you, you uh, that's like on the top of Mount Rushmore, you know, at the end of the rainbow type of feeling that, you know, you just, you're going to be obviously ecstatic and happy. It just means so much knowing that, Hey, if I ever got in and I'm in there with one of my teammates who went out there and sacrificed the same time and did the same types of things that I did. um, You know, it's just, it would be an amazing feeling. It would honestly be amazing. And I'll be highly honored, you know, to wear that horseshoe even more if that were ever to happen. Will
1: you guys you know, talk not, to one another about the process and, you know, just going through it as you have before?
4: Nah, you know, I know I, did, I didn't I did talk to him much before. You know, it was just the last process that I went in. Reggie went through this process a few times prior to me and I can only imagine what he goes through every time because he's been on that top 15 finalist list a few times and hadn't gotten in. And it must, it must suck, you know, for him not to be finally called. He deserves it. Um, so for me, and I, I think having a conversation with Reggie about it, I, first of all, I don't want to bring up any sore spots. And I also don't want him to get his you know, expectations up, like, like how I'm not trying to get my expectations up. If it happens, it happens, and it's a great honor. If it doesn't happen, then, hey, maybe next year mentality, and uh, that's how I like to see it, at least.
3: Cole's great. Dwight Freeney joins us. Dwight, you mentioned that not all sacks are created equal. Is there one, maybe two, for you when you look back at your career that are right up there that you you relish in, if you ever look back?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's, it's whenever you can close a game with a sack. Whenever, you know, you you like to think about it when you were a kid, you know, and and I think it primarily happens in other sports where it's basketball or baseball, you know, basketball, there's like three seconds left on the clock. You have the ball and you shoot it up and you score your team wins the game. Or if it's baseball, it's, you know, you're at the plate and your team is tied and you have to hit a home run to win the game. It's, it's that type of feeling for me. And I, and I was lucky enough to have two of those moments. Um, we were playing the Dolphins, and I was on the Colts. I was playing the Dolphins, and uh, I ended up sacking the quarterback in the fourth quarter, closing the game. Our team wins. It was a hard-fought battle. That might have been in 2003 um, when we went down there, or it could have been before, 2003. And then the next time I remember doing it, was when I was playing for the Arizona Cardinals and I had a spin move versus the Vikings and it was the fourth quarter and I happened to hit the quarterback, cause fumble, our team recovered it, game over. Um, Those are the moments on the sacks that I would remember the most because we won the game. Our team won the game because of that. And that's the main, most that that matters, right? Is the game, the big W, the win. So when we win the game based on that particular play, it's it, it definitely is the top feeling and a top mem- memory that I would have.
1: Dwight, lastly, and I appreciate your time, Dwight Freeney. You know, we as I'd mentioned, we hear you on this radio station trying to raise awareness for the Indiana Donor Network and and how organ donation has helped out for young people in particular but how anybody can be an organ donor Um, so i know you're up to that have you enjoyed that particular service if you will and awareness that you've raised and what else now are you doing aside from making sure that you're not staring at the phone waiting for the call
4: (laughs) well obviously with the the, um, the donor organ donation um that is something that you know like you mentioned earlier right it's it's how you find a way you know uh, to to give back and 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 that's the ultimate way right you know um you know you can donate your organs for someone else to live their life right as you pass and you can help other people live a full life you know it's it's something that is is an amazing amazing thing once it was brought to my attention that that is something that uh that could be done and that needs to be done um and uh, I was you know happy to be involved with that and as far as the second question golf course it's, it's, it'll be called a golf course. That is where all my attention goes to, man, when when uh, when I'm waiting for this call. All right? So I'll be out there hitting the ball, trying to figure out why the ball won't go where I want it to go. And um, if that call comes, you know, hey, uh, hopefully I'm available to take that call. Um, but I'll definitely be focused on something else, not waiting by the phone.
1: Well, hopefully this is the last time we have this particular conversation, but I will warn you that when the phone call comes, within probably a week, you're going to get another one saying, can we get you back on the air to talk about the fact you're a Hall of Famer?
4: <laughs> Absolutely. No problem, man.
1: But I Dwight, we, we always appreciate it, man. Best of luck through the process. Hit the ball straight, and by all means, Happy New Year to you. Hi, right,
0: man. Same to you.
4: Take care of yourself.
1: I appreciate it. Dwight Freeney here on the program. <laughs>
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
3: It's not often that you get an opportunity to talk to a Greek god like our next guest. Okay. He's been on these airways many a time. You know why he's a Greek god? Because he doesn't eat mayonnaise. (laughs) That could be the leadoff question for our yes. next cast as we get set for both the college football playoffs as well as maybe an early look at some draft conversations. You've heard him on the program before. He's Thor Nyström, college football and NFL draft analyst for Fantasy Pros. Thor, happy early New Year to you. I guess we'll start with Jake's question: mayonnaise, yes or no?
5: Yes, but not on Pop-Tarts. I eat them both, but separately. <laughs> so, wait,
1: so you're not horrified by mayonnaise uh i was starting to get horrified
5: deeper into that broadcast yes thank you the, the milkshakes yeah i'll
1: tell you what though thor in the air. now we're going to talk college football playoff but let me begin with this on a serious note because we were talking about and we've had a lot of fun with it right as probably every radio show in the country has about mayo and pop tarts and whatever else so let me throw you something that popped into my brain yesterday okay With all of the corporate sponsorships with bowl games now and with the, you know, with some of these, you know, companies using bowl games to become a trending item for a few days about their brand, how far away are we from some sort of retirement investment company building their brand by utilizing the following proposal? And that is a bowl game that they sponsor where they tout themselves as the first bowl game that is going to give financial reward to each player on the winning team to incentivize that all of the players show up and to make the game interesting now that we're in the NIL world and it's the wild wild west how far away are we from it
5: it's coming. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting close, particularly when that uh, 12-team CFP opens up. Correct. I don't think you're going to see it the first couple years, but I think it's coming right after I that. I mean, doesn't
1: cause... it seem like if we went with the like, Thor and Query investments, right? So we are a, a retirement investment banking firm. What better way yeah. to let people know that we can help you grow your money – and your long-term vision of being ahead of the curve financially than to sponsor the
5: very first bowl game that is paying the players, right? I love I love that, yeah. I mean, you know, doing that, uh, you know, just like the Super Bowl, right? You you incentivize the the winning roster with a bonus, the losing roster, the players on that, they, they also get a bonus, uh, less or so, but they still get one. And then the other thing that they're going to need to do in the new 12-team CFP era is ensuring the surefire NFL draft prospects because that's the other thing. They'll say, why you know, why will I play if, if I could get injured, you know, three more games, whatever. And that, that's how you do it. You you put a loss of value uh, insurance policy on them. That's what Jake Butt had, the Michigan tight end. So, some of these other guys, um, you know, they they get some of that back, whatever, if, if they do happen to get injured. But it's a two-pronged thing that's going to uh, ensure that we don't have opt-outs in that 12-team era.
1: Okay, so let that parlays nicely into – One of the local players that is of interest in the college football playoff because he's a guy that saw at Indiana his career kind of derailed by injury. He bounced back. He's been a wonderful story. Michael Penix Jr., does he have now – is he an electric enough player? You know, we've seen a lot of great players, Thor. Michael Vick comes to mind. You know, a lot of great players that get to the college football playoff and and then all of a sudden – teams have kind of figured out how to slow him down a little bit just enough where the rest of the roster can't lift him. Does Pennix have enough to carry Washington here for two more stages?
5: There's a shot, yeah. And the reason why is Washington matches up really well against Texas. Texas, their defense shuts down any run game, so this is not going to be a good game for Dylan Johnson, I, I don't think. But Pennix is going to be able to throw into their weakness with the three elite wide receivers that he has. Doomsday is probably going to go in the top ten. McMillan could go late round one early round two and then they have Polk as well they also have two good receiving tight ends and by the way Dylan Johnson's a very good receiving back he originally signed with Mike Leach at Mississippi State to play in the Air rate because you know that's the skill of his but Texas's pass defense is not nearly as good as their run defense that's where you attack them so there's a path absolutely for Washington pulling off that upset and then you, you get to the next round. I you know, I, I think either of those teams they, they would match up okay with. You can get Alabama down the field in the in the passing game. It's hard to run on them, especially outside the tackles, but you can throw down the field on them. Uh, we've seen that over and over again this year. They they just have a weakness back there. Michigan, I think, is the most complete team, but you would give uh, Washington a punch or chance in that. I mean a, a team that was not as good a similar ish team that wasn't nearly as qualitatively good as as Washington as last year, TCU. Obviously slapped around, or maybe not. That might be going a little far. But controlled that game and, and upset Michigan. So I, I think uh, Washington has a shot for sure.
3: Thor Nyström is our guest, college football analyst for Fantasy Pros. Thor, when you look at the Alabama-Michigan matchup and focusing on the Crimson Tide, so much of this year has been about their inability to put opponents away and often be kind of inconsistent at times for the majority of their season, despite the fact that they were able to get here and ultimately beat Georgia. Which Bama team do you think we wind up seeing on Monday? Is it the one that put Georgia away, or is it the one that for most of the year played with their food or often struggled at times to completely close out games?
5: Yeah, you know how they say in the UFC styles, make fights? Yeah. For, for me, Alabama is the college football equivalent of that they do some things at an elite level. They're top three in the nation at it, and some things they're absolutely horrible at it. So on offense, when they get their run game going, they are elite at throwing down the field then. But when the run game's not going, if Milrow's not scrambling around effectively, if Jace McClellan doesn't get going, the deep passing game tends to not get going, and that's when you see the whole offense come down. They, They need one with the other. And then on defense, they're elite at shutting down the concepts outside the tackles, zone concepts the concepts that take a little bit of time to develop stuff like that because Alabama's second level speed is ridiculous they will get there you're not faster than them you're not beating them around the corner just stop doing that the way that you can grind out yards against Alabama on the ground you got to go right at them power concepts very straightforward no trickery and then you can grind out efficiency in that way in the Georgia game The very first drive, Georgia had an effective offensive strategy where it was the meat and potatoes runs and then throwing down the field. That's how you attack Alabama. The rest of the game was one of the more bizarre offensive strategy changes or that, that I've seen. Uh, Georgia went away from that. All their running concepts, was the zone stuff outside, and then the passing game they got super duper conservative, which then you're just going into the wood chipper of the strength of Alabama's pass defense. They got the elite outside corners, Kool-Aid McKinnistry being the, the one that we're going to see in the draft here in April. But um, I, I think Michigan, they're able to Uh, address that they're able to go at the the weaknesses there you have Blake Corum with the power running game Michigan their offensive line has won the Joe Moore Moore Award the last two years they had eight different offensive linemen that were on the senior bowl watch list this preseason even coming off the two straight Joe Moore Award wins is the best offensive line in the nation and I know that Michigan's uh, passing game does tend conservative but keep in mind that's against poor competition when they get the big leads they don't have they don't have to do that Remember the Ohio State game that ended the 2022 regular season when we hadn't seen J.J. McCarthy throwing downfield, but Ohio State had the weakness of, of getting ripped for the long passing plays. J.J. McCarthy went bombs away in that game, and Michigan absolutely slapped around Ohio State. I think you're going to see something similar here. Um, I, I like Michigan in that game. Is this
1: – Thor Nystrom is our guest. In the college football playoff era, You know, there, there typically was always one team – that you're like, okay, their resume has them there, but you just kind of knew they weren't on the same level as the other three. Um, Is this the most balanced one to four that we've had in the era?
5: I think it might be, yeah. And, you know, maybe it's a famous last words thing. We'll have to see. But, yeah, there's been times where that, especially that four seed, they're just, you know, it's they're walking the green mile into that game, and you know they're going to get annihilated. Uh, some of the big 10 teams that have been, you know, sent up Michigan state, you know, and stuff like that. You, you remember the Florida, if Florida state had been there, I think that's what we would have gotten. I take my hat off to the committee for doing the tough thing, but the right thing of putting Alabama in there. Cause you have, Four teams now that absolutely could win the national but, title, and again, you, you have the very interesting matchups of the, the you know th- these teams that have different elite strengths, and then they have some weaknesses. You have some fascinating in-game matchups here. I, I do think this is going to be one of the best college football players we've ever seen.
1: So Thor, I'm gonna I'll, I'll push back a little bit, because, and I get what you're saying, but I guess it comes down to this: Do you believe because? I don't disagree that Alabama, obviously, I mean, you know, I I agree, one to four. I mean, I presented the question. I think it's as balanced as you get. But I thought Florida State had a better resume in the fact that they did everything that was asked of them. They went outside the league. They played two in the SEC. And Alabama struggled late against Auburn. People forget about that. But it comes down to, in your opinion, Thor, is the the committee's job – to say we're going to pick the teams that we feel are the four best at the end of December, or is it to pick the four teams that had the best resume going in?
5: It's the former um, for me, uh, and and the the committee bylaws, you know, they they have stipulations in there that, that have to do with weighing. The team has an injury or coaching changes that could depreciate how good it is, or you know, or how good you project it to be in the next game. Obviously, we saw Florida State without Jordan Travis. And that offense was really tough to watch. The the way, only way they could move the ball was with Wildcat. That wasn't going to work in, in the college football playoff. So, I, I mean, the, the total resume, yes, most of which was produced with Jordan, uh, Travis behind uh, center, with with uh, Tate Rodemaker. You know, it's just not the same thing. They're not one of the four best teams in the nation. So, I, I think the right decision was made. Is this
1: the final game at Michigan for Jim Harbaugh?
5: I believe so. Well, the, uh,
1: I mean, unless they win, Check obviously, that. but you get what I'm saying. Yes,
5: right? I, I believe the national championship will be the last game for Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. Yes.
1: Do, so obviously, now is that because, in your opinion, Thor Nyström, if Jim Harbaugh is to leave Michigan, is it because the money and the lifestyles of the NFL are just too hard to pass on, or because there are just so many things stacked against Michigan now that he's got to he's got to bail.
5: This is just my read on this. I, I don't have any inside information on this, but it really does seem like the NCAA or a small group at the NCAA has it out for Jim Harbaugh, and they're trying to push him out. You've seen Jim Harbaugh. I mean, the, this, the second one, you know, with the second three-game suspension that he got this year through the Stallions thing, they suspended Harbaugh, but they, you know, the NCAA came out and said, like, we're punishing the Michigan program you know, it's not specific to Jim Harbaugh, but we had to, you know, punish them somehow. The, you know, and and you can nitpick that one. The first three-game suspension he got, we all kinds of coaches do worse stuff than that every year. Even confirmed, reported on the record, et cetera. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, you know, lied about, uh, you know, buying a cheeseburger for a recruit, and they nicked him three games on that. They're going after him for stuff you don't see other coaches the NCAA get after them for, with punitive penalties as well. I, I, I just think that the writing is on the wall here, and, and that's why I think he moves on. What, why do you need the consternation if you're one of the five best football coaches walking planet Earth? I'm not talking NFL or college. I'm talking throw them all together. He can go to the pros. He doesn't have to worry about all this nonsense.
3: When you look at Washington and Texas, Thor Nystrom, a fantasy pro, is nice enough to take some time with us. I don't like the whole force narrative of quarterback versus quarterback because, as we know, they're not on the field at the same time, but it's hard with a matchup like this not to. Is it fireworks across the board with Quinn Ewers versus Michael Penix Jr.?
5: I think so, yeah. Um, Although I think Texas will keep the ball on the ground more just because Washington has one of the worst run defenses in the entire Power 5. But yeah, you're also gonna see a lot of the, the deep shots once Washington starts to move guys up. Washington moved guys up to address Oregon's running game and they played way up on run defense. The problem for Oregon, and this goes into Bonex's draft evaluation, Bonex can't throw downfield. He doesn't have the pocket presence for it. He doesn't have the the, the coverage down, the, the reading, the downfield ability, he doesn't have the accuracy downfield. If you look like yeah, his his accuracy jumped way up in terms of the road numbers the last couple years. Check out his A dot. He had one of the, the uh, in, in terms of the entire nation, got the ball out uh, fifth highest in, in terms of the fewest uh, seconds it took to throw the ball. They just get the ball out right away to it, you know, whether it's a running back, Bucky Irving, whether it's a tunnel screen to uh, his, his half brother, uh, Taz brother Johnson, whether it's uh, uh, Troy Franklin. It's just a bunch of short stuff. So, um, yeah, but Quinn Ewers has a cannon for an arm. I comp him to, to Matthew Stafford. I, I think there's a lot of similarities there, especially the way that they throw the ball. It, it looks like a mirror image. So, yeah, I, I think you're going to see them going downfield more. And that that's probably how Ewers piles up his passing yards in that game.
1: Off topic from the college football playoffs, but for Indiana from a local standpoint, and I know that this is a little more off radar because James Madison, you know, great year for them, but they're not, you know, they weren't power five. But your thoughts, Thor,
5: on Indiana's hire of Kurt Signetti. Absolutely incredible hire. Absolutely incredible hire. I was surprised that Indiana like early on when they fired Allen, I heard some whispers of Indiana's going for it. They're they're not they're not gonna screw around anymore with the the head coach or not with the football program in general. And I was like, we'll wait and see on that. They they did. I they. they got I'm kind of
1: surprised, people. store that Indiana was the one that ended up with him. Like in hindsight, don't you think to yourself, like, right. how did he not go to a bigger program?
5: Uh, yeah, and I thought he was going to get a Power Five job after last year. I mean, th- this guy's been performing miracles for a long time, and I know that people it rubbed people the wrong way. The little sound clip they took out of his first press conference where he said, you know, what's your pitch to recruits? I win. Google me. It's the truth, though. The truth hurts sometimes. I mean, th- that is his pitch to, to, to kids. And they should listen to it because he turns around every program and then becomes a big winner wherever he goes. You needed a coach like that if you're at Indiana to, you know, even even become like a regular ball team in this new Big Ten, which has just become grizzly with the four more elite teams coming in now. I, I like the the you know Signetti coming in, obviously elite coach, but also the way he coaches. I, I think it's you, you have a lot of Big Ten defenses that are going to have to go more to the three three five to address the spread offenses and the more speed and different stuff like that. Tignetti and those guys, they're just going to run on you and, and, and use the quarterback and the mobility and different stuff like that. And then they can pick you apart when you go in the zone. So I, I, I just really like it from all different angles on that. And I, I think he's going to turn around Indiana. Absolutely. Thorne Eystrom is...
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: Our guest from Fantasy Pros, Thor, this year's NFL draft, what we know is that Indianapolis is going to be drafting further back than probably we initially thought. So for the Colts that have the franchise quarterback, and Anthony Richardson, and still have pieces elsewhere that need to be plugged in, assuming that they're going to be drafting somewhere like in the lower, you know, early 20s, somewhere in there, the this year's draft is going to be really rich in what position? So, in other words, you don't have to be in the top five to get a really good player at what position because there are going to be multiple of them available.
5: Well, it's going to be top-heavy in elite elite prospects, and we do have that. And, by the way, speaking on that notion, it breaks my heart the Colts aren't drafting in the top five because I badly wanted Marvin Harrison Jr. to go there and then spend his career with Anthony Richardson. That would have been so fun. But, obviously, the the Colts are way ahead of schedule, and the future is very bright there. I I think receiver, though, uh, could be where you're looking. Uh, The the Colts already have a, a pretty solid receiving core think you could really make the argument that they could use one more guy and now all of a sudden it is scary, 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 especially with uh Richson coming back, especially with Jonathan Taylor locked in there now, the offensive line they have, you get one more uh really, really, really good receiver. I think it's on in terms of that offense. Um, and and you have depth there in the first round. I mean, obviously you're gonna miss out on Harrison. How does it do test? Um that's gonna depend on whether he does go at the bottom end of that top ten. Or whether it's more like, you know, around the 20th pick or the, you know, whatever. Because you have some of those other receivers in there and play as well. Malik Neighbors, his teammate, uh, Brian Thomas, I think is a stud. I, I really, and I think he's underrated. I, I think Jalen McMillan from Washington, a Junese's teammate, I think he's underrated too. Guys that got overshadowed. They're being looked at as round two prospects now, but both those guys I could see as late first rounders. Absolutely, Ameka uh, Ibuka. You guys are very familiar with him. He's going to be going pretty high as well, whether it's late first round, whether it's early second. I think where the Colts are going to end in the draft in that first round slot, I think the value is going to be a wide receiver.
1: Hey, could Harrison go number one overall? Is he good? I mean, I- is he good enough that instead of Caleb Williams, instead of you know the kid out of North Carolina. Could 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 a team drafting number one, whoever ends up with that pick, because we'll see if it's traded out. Could Harrison go number one overall?
5: Only well, just the position value is is the only reason I don't think that that's going to happen. Just because of the trade that the Bears could get. If you didn't have trades, obviously, like I I, I do think he would go uh, number one if, if the Bears were in that slide. and you could justify uh, that. I I think. But you have the teams that are so desperate for the quarterback. We remember what, I mean. This happens every year, but last year was Bryce Young. Gave, or uh, you know, the Panthers gave up the the King's ransom to move up and get Bryce Young. The Bears are going to get confronted with that again, and I think that becomes the bigger discussion of: do we go forward to Justin Fields another year, take another King's ransom, or do we sit here and then we trade Justin Fields for you know what, you know second round pick or whatever? Maybe maybe get a second and a fifth, something like that. Um, I think that's probably the direction just because of the enormous draft equity that is involved with that. But we haven't seen a, a receiver prospect come out like Marvin Harrison in a really, really, really long time. May, I mean, maybe you would say Jamar Chase, but I, I think he's going to be ranked, you know, it, with the guys that do the, the numerical systems. I think he's going to be ranked even higher. Now you, you'd have to go back even before that.
1: You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I know he's a great player and I've watched a lot of him because I'm a Clemson fan, but Drake May out of North Carolina. I, I would pass on him, Thor, just because every time I see his name, it reminds me of Mayo, and, and I, <laughs> I, I can't deal with it. I just I can't do it, man. It's a mental <laughs> hurdle. I'm telling you.
5: Yeah, well, you know, in terms of the the quarterbacks at the top, I I think it's going to get really interesting because when we came into this season, it was as you guys know, Caleb was the consensus QB one, Drake May was consensus QB two, and then enormous drop off, and then there was we were talking about a bunch of these other guys. I think Jaden Daniels uh, is now, he has made this a three-horse race and you know, for, for the top. I, I think he has a shot to surpass one or potentially even both of those guys. Depending on the offensive system of the team that's drafting, th- that's the fascinating thing about that question, too, is all three of those guys' games are so different. You would want Drake May, if you're one of those teams where you want the quarterback to run on script what you tell them. So a team like the Patriots, right, or a team like uh, my local Minnesota Vikings, they want you to stay on script. They want you to, you know, say the lines that you've been given by the director. don't want you going off script. Caleb Williams is the exact opposite. He's the playground ball guy. but He, he is going to create in the moment. He doesn't care. I mean, like. The play concept is what it is. He knows what the routes are, but he is going to create in that moment that would drive some coaches up the wall. It's the reason, you know, Pat Mahomes has been so successful over his career. It turned out to be an enormous steal. If he had gone to a different coaching staff that tried to put him, you know, the, the square peg into the round hole, it wouldn't have turned out like this. So Caleb Williams needs to find a coaching staff that will allow him to do that. And then with Jaden Daniels, very, very poised in the pocket now, he has gotten so much better at that. Awesome, awesome deep ball, so he can stretch you deep. And then he's a very, very good scrambler. One question with him is when he tucks and runs, and you guys can look at this in his advanced metrics. When he tucks and runs, he always runs. He does not throw on the run. So I think that's one thing where he's going to get nitpicked. Is you, you have it can't be binary. He's got to get a little bit better switching for. Or you know when 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 he's you know starting to, to drift to the side. Keep your eyes up. But he's showing that he's a killer in the pocket. Especially down the field, and that also he's an elite scrambler as well. When he doesn't see it,
3: he's Thor Nyström with Fantasy Bros. College Football NFL analyst. Thor, Michigan favored by point a half, Texas favored by four. Where are you going with both those college football semifinals, and who ultimately hoist the trophy on the eighth?
5: I'm definitely going with Michigan against Bama, and I'm definitely going. I'm staying with Michigan as my title pick. That's been my title pick since you know the preseason and everything. Got to stay with that. In the other game, what I love is the over uh, because uh, Texas can mercilessly attack that horrid uh, Washington run defense. And on the other side, Washington, their passing off, elite passing offense, can attack the, the weakness with, with Texas' secondary there. The side of that game is tougher with, with the points. I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, I, I, think right now I've, I've, I've gotten to maybe taking Washington plus the points, but I was at Texas minus the points before I still haven't made my final call on that. I, I think that one is right on the line. It's an objectively fair spread. So, so that one, it's, it's more up in the air, but the total in that one overall day, that one is going to be a wild shootout.
3: That's what I like to hear. You got uh, Jimmy. You got your picks locked and loaded for the end of the program. I do indeed, All but right. I love a good over on a college football playoff semifinal. Jake, it, it, it's a birthday over for me. I'm, I'm here for it. And you go. sure as hell don't like any unders. So, I yeah. don't like unders. You're correct. You're right on that. Thor, Thor, the appreciate
1: man. the time, man. Enjoy the game. Appreciate you, boys. Always good talking to you.